All right, ready? Are you ready? Three, two, we're live. Welcome to the Ruckus Review. This week, ah, damn it, it sucks. <laughs> We didn't have this problem last time. I wasn't nervous last time because I didn't give a shit about that movie. Yeah, yeah, no. <laughs> oh, intro. Oh man, this is this is exciting. Yeah, I'm telling you, I'm riveted. I'm gonna start crying soon. <laughs> All right. The enemy tanks have stopped. Why? Why waste precious tanks when they can pick us off from the air like fish in a barrel? There are 400,000 men on this beach. Kirk. I'm not going back. There's no hiding from this sun. We have a job to do. If we go there, we'll die. see it from here. What? Home. Welcome to the Ruckus Review. This week we're reviewing Dunkirk, the latest in Christopher Nolan's filmography. Joining us we have Nick Dabbs and Hayden Scheffler. Yo, what's going on? This week, we're going to start with some opening statements. And Nick, do you want to head that off for us? Yeah, sure. So I guess when I when I think about I should probably say up front, I've seen it twice at this point. Um, Dunkirk generated probably one of the weirdest responses in me towards a movie I've ever had. Never before have I been so assured of a film's technical merit uh, and visual achievement yet simultaneously felt so disconnected from its characters uh, and as well as any real emotional heft it was trying to generate. So in many ways, to me, Dunkirk ended up being kind of the conceptual essence of Christopher Nolan, which is a, to me, highbrow spectacle and plot uh, kind of embedded within this singular thought concept. Um, you know, with Inception, that, that, con that thought concept being dreams uh, and then The Dark Knight being something like Chaos, Interstellar being maybe Time. Uh, to me, Dunkirk's kind of operative thought concept uh, was was suspense. Um, and you kind of get that in a lot of Nolan's promotional content when he was doing his interviews for the film. It seemed like he was kind of steering people away from classifying this as a war movie 
uh, instead kind of opting for it to be classified as a suspense or a thriller movie. And that came through very clearly, pretty much from the first sequence on. Um, to me, this film was more experimental than substantive, with Nolan pretty much trying to answer this question of, can I literally make a movie that runs exclusively off the fumes of suspense? Uh, and the only problem is real suspense is not a holistic concept without real characters. And outside of perhaps two, maybe three semi-developed performances, Dunkirk is severely lacking in this department. And so for me, this movie really just brings to head all of the common critiques of Nolan uh, and what is really his most arrogant, sloppily conceived product to date. Wow. Right, cool. Dude, yeah. That's right. a lot to... Thanks for being here, Nick. Me and Hayden are going to review this now. See you later. <laughs> hey, thanks for having me, guys. <laughs> uh, Hayden, you want to go? Yeah, sure. I did not prepare such a large opening statement, but I will give it my best. Um, I think one of the most interesting things about Christopher Nolan's movies, at least all the ones that I've seen, I, I haven't seen, I guess, Memento, is that one of the ones he did early on? Um, and there might be another one that I, that I haven't seen that he did. Um, the most intriguing things to me has always been the world that he's created, or placed his characters into. So, as, for example, like The Dark Knight, while it's, it's supposed to take place in a real world, it's still in somewhat of a fictional world that has superheroes and stuff. And in, even in The Prestige, where it's like somewhat based in history, there's still this element of magic and or science that we don't understand in it. And then you got movies like Interstellar and Inception that really take just these huge sort of jumps out of what we know and in reality and, and create these really interesting worlds. Dunkirk was one that was... There, there wasn't anything interesting about it in terms of the world, other than it had actually occurred in real life, which you could say in a, in a lot of ways is more interesting because that actually happened in history. Um, I enjoyed watching the movie, and I thought that a lot of, like, I thought that there was a lot of really well done things to, like, Tom Hardy, his storyline with him in the plane, I, I really enjoyed that the most out of everything which is kind of interesting considering he barely had any lines. And I think he was one of the lesser involved characters in the whole story. The less time was spent on him. Overall, it's one of it's one of my least favorite Christopher Nolan movies, but that could be less of a directing standpoint and more of a the source material, the storyline, and the world that he was in was so different from the reasons why I like Christopher Nolan's movies in the first place. Um, I have also seen Dunkirk twice, uh, before seeing it the first time, we all had like our little assignments that we were going to do. We were, uh, going to watch, I was going to watch, uh, war movies, other war movies to, um, compare it against Dunkirk. Uh, I think Nick, you were going to watch other Christopher Nolan movies. I think you watched Inception. Uh, no, maybe Interstellar. Either way, it doesn't matter. Nick, I think you were going to watch uh, Dark Knight. Nick, I thought you were going to watch... What What was it? Uh, I ended up watching The Prestige. Okay, The Prestige. Uh, and then Hayden, I think you watched Spider-Man in preparation. <laughs> um, 
Uh, the first of the war movies that I watched was Hacksaw Ridge. And then I watched some of Saving Private Ryan, not all of it. Uh, and then after seeing Dunkirk, I realized that there was no comparison at all. And what I immediately did afterwards was go and watch, uh, it's a Netflix series called The Five That Came Back, or Five Came Back. And it's about directors from World War II who were sent uh, to make like propaganda films as well as just document the war. And then I started watching some of those films they talked about and then just other war documentaries. And those were much more comparable to Dunkirk than other war movies were. Up on my second viewing, that's more what I went into was looking at the movie from the standpoint of something that was trying to examine a part of history and was trying to tell a story. Um, and then almost even as like propaganda, something that was trying to send a message across, even though nowadays it's not like propaganda, like you needed the morale to win the war or anything, but it was definitely something that I think I could easily see it as something that could have been a tool for propaganda. Um, even though, you know, in, you know, one sense, it's not, it's not like it would build morale or whatever, but it shows the spirit of the people and, uh, examines the culture of that event. So I think that you have to watch the movie with a very different standpoint of one that is just trying to capture the emotion, uh, some of like the politics and the actual like very real tension of a very real event rather than of rather than the viewpoint that uh, there is some sort of underlying motive that's trying to be uh, impressed upon you or some sort of, I don't know, a detailed storyline that you're supposed to connect to, like most movies. Um, so I, I think, oh, no, I think it was an excellent movie, but definitely a different movie than what we're used to. To be what you're saying there, I thought that was well presented. But I think to me, what you're saying there is essentially the profile of the person that would enjoy this is a 90-year-old uh, war veteran who's British, who actually fought there, who would actually appreciate your, to use the, your words, so. like the politics and the culture of the situation appropriately, whereas other people whose expectations are to be entertained, and I would argue is Nolan's still primary motivation here, would just be disappointed. I don't, okay. I don't, I don't think we that. We can respond later. Let's not let's not respond to the opening statements, uh, just because I think those will be our initial synopsis, and then we can go into sick. Other I got the only response ever to an opening statement in Ruckus Review history, and guess who's gonna cut it? Dang it! <laughs> All right, we'll just start preparing for it. All right, uh, another thing we could have done before opening statements to give a sense of what the general public thought uh, after hearing our thoughts. Uh, and then just some quick uh, statistics. I uh, have the box office results of Dunkirk up to this point. Uh, it has done 414 million uh, worldwide on a budget of $1 million. And one million? million? That was the budget? It was a million dollars? Uh, sorry, 100 million. Excuse oh, me. okay. I was going to say. Like, the most successful movie in history. Yeah, seriously. On a budget of 100 million. Uh, and 
for each of these, uh, I'm going to compare it to Dark Knight and Interstellar. Dark Knight being probably one of the most well-received of Christopher Nolan's and Interstellar being a recent movie of his that wasn't very well-received. Uh, Dark Knight, its box office worldwide was $1 was one billion. Um, Interstellar, box office worldwide was $675 million, and its budget was one hundred and sixty-five. And then popular critical review sites, Dunkirk, Dunkirk's Rotten Tomato score was 93%, IMDb was 8.4, and Metacritic was 94. Jeez. And for The Dark Knight, the Rotten Tomatoes was 94%, only 1% higher, IMDb was 9, Metacritic was 82, and then Interstellar, uh, Rotten Tomatoes was 71 IMDb was 8.6, and Metacritic was 74. I think those are pretty interesting. Like, The Dark Knight is much lower than Dunkirk on Metacritic, and it's the highest on Rotten Tomatoes and IMDb for whatever reason. And with Dunkirk, if you'll remember, like, initially, it was even way higher than that. I mean, it was, like, 99, 100, like, like 9.6. Oh, yeah, IMDb. it's definitely, like... Like yeah. the critic initial critical burst was like best movie of all time. And mm-hmm. then as more audiences kind of saw it, it brought it down just slightly. Right. Um, and I've got some uh, I've reviews from different actual critics. Matt Zoller cites, uh, who is a reviewer with Roger Ebert. Um, He's dead. Mazzoler sites is Roger Ebert. Roger Ebert.com. That site. Roger Ebert.com is dead. Um, no, Matt Zoller sites uh, with Roger Ebert.com said that he loathed parts of the movie and found other repet- others repetitious or half baked. Uh, he said, but maybe paradoxically, I admired it throughout and have been thinking about it constantly since I saw it. This is a movie of vision and integrity made on an epic scale. It deserves to be seen and argued about. Uh, And then Todd McCarthy of The Hollywood Reporter said, although the film is deeply moving at unexpected moments, it's not due to any manufactured sentimentality or false heroics. Bursts of emotion here explode like depth charges at times and for reasons that will no doubt vary from viewer to viewer. And then Nick Dabbs on Letterboxd.com said, there are stretches in this movie that are just bad for Nolan it's just plain bad filmmaking probably one of the strangest movies I've ever seen interesting um so this being a movie that was based on a a pretty big historical event a very critical one uh in the war uh how much did you guys actually know about Dunkirk before seeing the movie or about the events leading up to that for me personally I had never even heard of I don't even think I, I remember consciously hearing the word Dunkirk, like in history class or anything at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, my brother's kind of a history buff, and he was telling me a little bit about it kind of when it was released or like when it was announced it would be released. But until then, I was like, I don't I've absolutely never heard of it. I had no idea what the story was at all. Yeah, I would say the same. Uh, part, I think part that's partially because it was a big a part of... Um, Great Britain's history during the war, not so much America. So 
like we probably aren't taught that stuff as you know thoroughly as we are um but same thing i didn't hear about it i didn't know anything about it until i heard that nolan was coming out with the world war ii movie and then my dad who knows a lot about history was sort of telling me about like the general story about them being rescued on the boats by like regular people not soldiers or not um military but that's that's pretty much all i knew about it but i I didn't really have any expectations so given the constraints of the movie and the fact that they did have to follow some parameters based on the fact that, you know, the, you know, the source material actually happened. Uh, do you think that uh, no one was able to achieve good thematic elements or was he able to uh, use what actually happened and tell a bigger story with it? Bigger? No. Um, one of the big, biggest critiques that I heard about it, and I, I guess I didn't, I didn't consciously think about this, was that it really, to me, didn't really focus on, it it focused on the event, but not on the significance of what was happening at the time. Because it was like, okay, this little event at Dunkirk, well, not so little, um, was really important, but who are we even fighting? Like they didn't mention Germany. You know, it it was it was like you couldn't even tell who the enemy was, and and this was something I I noticed but didn't think about. And then after I got home, I read a review that I, I found a review in the Wall Street Journal. My dad gave it to me, and it was sort of talking about how the the importance of who they were fighting and the place in the war that really wasn't mentioned at all or Churchill's like part in that and and I I didn't really know a lot about that um but bigger not it it almost made the event smaller it made the event seem more like any kind of story that anyone could tell not necessarily this is about World War II yeah I I kind of disagree with what you're saying um just watching those documentaries and uh, some of the things that the directors of the documentaries would talk about was that they were never hoping to make pro-war movies. They were never wanting to make movies uh, that glorified war in any way. They wanted all of their movies to be like anti-war movies. And so part of making all your films anti-war, even though you're trying to boost morale and things like that, uh, Part of the anti-war thing was they wouldn't, some of the directors uh, tried very specifically not to make the movies about fighting the Germans or fighting the Japanese or fighting the Italians because they said, after this war, we need to be friends. They're like, these movies that we're making aren't about the bad guys. But at the the time, everyone knew who they were fighting. Right. And so when we walked out of this movie, you got some rednecks that are like, so who, who were the... What war was this? Was this like the the Civil War, or or was this the the Afghan Deserts War? I can't remember which war this was. Well, see, that's that's what I'm saying. I I feel like you you don't need to show the enemy and identify the war because it's a movie about war, not about this war. It's a story about war in general. If it's a story about war in general, what is Nolan's position on war based on this, in your opinion? That, I, that he loves awful. war. 
you're right. He's, um, I don't know necessarily that he's taking a position with but it's a movie. story about war, according to and, and what the feelings are that happen in war and like what it feels like to be in war and uh, you know how people react to war. I mean, but I think he intentionally didn't have a lot of political statements in the movie. You know, I think he because like you know he didn't like he never showed Winston Churchill. He never showed like there were some generals or whatever, but there's no one like back at home who was calling the shots and whatever who was talking about the war and the big brass. It was just about the people who were there and who were participating. So I mean, it's just I I just think there's so many parallels to the documentaries made during the war of like just showing people and uh trying to get people just a a sense of what it felt like and the what problem, it would the, like problem there. the problem with what you're saying i think you're bringing up a good point but presuppositionally we're just seeing this from a completely different standpoint if you think that the intent here from nolan in creating this film was to in some way mirror an actual war propaganda film as opposed to creating an entertaining blockbuster. I mean, no, that's... I don't, I don't think it was to mirror a documentary. I think that he used a lot of the elements that documentaries do or that documentaries use to build suspense, even because like, I think there's suspense in documentaries, even though it's like someone telling you what happened and yeah. you know, you're seeing everything and you're not involved in it. I think there's suspense just in how they talk about the events and then how they show footage and things like that of, you know, what soldiers were doing. You actually start more, you're not just following one person around or anything. Um, so I guess just my question for you is, did you feel you actually, you bought into the suspense, let's say the first time you saw the movie? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I did. I, I, I mean, I definitely felt that. Yeah, I and I think this is like something big that we'll get into is I don't, I didn't think at all that you needed to be attached to those characters or you really had to care about those specific characters at all to feel that suspense or to feel, you know, any of their motivations behind the mood because I immediately just started thinking about the British soldiers who were actually there and things like that. I wasn't thinking like, you know, was this one guy real? Did what he do like actually happen? What was his backstory? I didn't care about that. I thought about the British soldiers who were at the beach, who had just been like beaten in a huge, in like tons of battles and had been driven to like almost surrendering. They were like escaping barely with their lives. And then it was like also this huge moment in the war where it's like England was almost destroyed. Like they almost lost all of their forces. And so to me, it was just, you're capturing these like snapshots just looking at little stories, like little flashes here and there uh, that show you this broad picture of this huge event. Then how do you justify elements like just the soundtrack that's constantly working towards this? It, to me, it seems all the thematic elements, the shooting, the, the soundtrack, it's like reinforcing, it's serving this idea of, I want this to be suspenseful for the viewer. Don't like you think? Concept. Do you think the real event was suspenseful? I do. And so I'm, I'm just saying what the medium, happened. the medium of a blockbuster, entertaining film to convey a realistic sense of war suspension. There's just always going to be a clash there. 
by how effective you can be with that. So are you saying that there was a different, like a wrong kind of, like the wrong type of suspense was put across? 100% yes. I, to me, everything, every element in the stew here of filmmaking was used to attempt to create suspense. And for me, it just didn't work at all, rather than the other way around. Like to me, the story, this whole context and environment of, oh no, they're trapped on this island. Nolan didn't see that and think, what a heartwarming, like, cool. He was like, ooh, how can I maximize the suspense? This this is a great context for me to embed a suspenseful story into. So like, you, all against the odds, you know, how are they going to escape? He's so like, ooh, think, his, his little brain shoots off. And he's like, ooh, this is perfect. This is perfect. And that's serving the suspense rather than the other way around. So you think that he basically, to some extent, removed the suspense from a very suspenseful um, situation by making it too movie-like, right? Is that, is that what you're saying? No. Yeah, say what you're saying differently, just because I, I kind of, I feel like I kind of understand, but I still don't. Again, I just presuppositionally think that Nolan set out to make an entertaining movie. And one of the hallmarks of entertaining film is suspense. And so he wanted to capitalize on that cachet that was available to him in this particular context and so he used the story elements, the soundtrack, all the thematic elements to serve this just literally from the first sequence on, it's just a crescendo that ultimately doesn't really lead to some kind of catharsis, at least to me, that, that's a different conversation. But all the elements are serving that gradual build rather than suspenseful elements serving the larger story like you see more in Dark Knight, like in some of his other works. This movie was literally all about suspense the whole time. It was just hopping from one suspenseful scenario to another one. And, and it, just, I, it just got old. And the way I see it, I didn't think it was old for one, or it got old for one. I, like, I just keep going back to, I think that's what it really felt like. I think those people, like, I think it was mounting suspense until the ships got there, until they got home. And I think, like, I imagine there were people doing things that were more and more desperate as they were scared that they wouldn't get rescued. And like, so what were some things what were some desperate things people did here? Fill me in. Remember like the dude just walking into the ocean, like when they were just sitting there on the beach after the boat had gotten sunk? All right, there's one. It's just an example of like what would happen to this guy. He walked into the beach and then you have the French dude who uh deserts his army to go join up. And I mean then you have the guys who go to the beach ship, they're way away from all the other soldiers, and they knew they could be right next to the Germans doing it. I mean, it's just tons of little things. And then like uh the pilot uh disregarding how much fuel he had and staying the course, like things like that, where it's just building and building, because in real life, those people knew this was make or break. And so it was like until we achieve this objective, this is like it's all effort it's like i i'm going to keep reinventing myself and doing new things until i figure out what you know until i make it out of this which you know in in life that that's that's how things go it's like the suspense builds and the stress builds until you either reach something or you fail and so that's that's how i, I see it is like i can see what you're saying and i understand how you don't like him doing these little things over and over again that are just it's just to like 
psychologically build up something in the viewer who like you, he's almost trying to make them not care about the story by just being like you know just constantly clenching the whole time but i think that's how i like to think of it maybe more like taking a step back that like you're in that constant clenching and like getting more and more scared for these people i think that's how it really was for them i think like it just built like that and so by the end of it it's like wow this is the feeling that those soldiers have when they got home. It all ended up great. Even though this whole time it was like, I was in the dentist chair, like just everything was getting worse and worse. You know, I guess, I guess part of the problem for me is that's a fair point, but it, the problem for me is not only that I think everything serving the suspense is that I didn't even buy into the suspense. So you keep talking about clenching the whole time. There were, yes, there was definitely some sequences where I was like, Holy crap, like that's insane. But for a large bulk of those suspenseful episodes, I did not find myself like, Oh no, oh no, is he gonna die? Like, and that's what I'm saying is the problem with not developing the characters. To Hayden's point, not defining the obstruction, the obstacle that's in your way. If you don't define the enemy, why would you be afraid on their behalf if you don't really have a substantive guess at who they are, where they are spatially? I was so spatially, that sounds weird, but like, like being spatially confused in this movie. Where's so, the threat coming from? So were from? the people on the beaches they didn't know when things were going to happen sure and that's why that would be a great documentary but again this is a movie made to entertain and so it just absolutely failed at that you went into this weirdly wanting it to be a documentary so you're like the one person who was like expectations were met i think that's what he decided to do i think that's what nolan was trying to do i disagree I, think, I see i think he is he would say that he was trying to make a documentary or, or a movie almost styled in that way. Hayden, what do you think? We haven't heard from the Indian. I think that if Christopher Nolan was attempting to make a movie that like realistically portrayed the feelings of war and stuff, I think what he should have done was taken a battle and then loosely based a movie off of that event very loosely instead of taking this specific event and and using it to create you know like that very specific story that you're talking about but the other thing is that oh my goodness my cats are going to kill each other just a second but then to me i'm just going to respond to that while hayden is running around messing with his cats this is how professional our podcast is okay i'm going to respond to that just saying real quick that if he had done that, it would be like every other war movie. And I think he was trying to do something different. Whether or not he pulled off something different and his vision of something different, and 100%. I can see that. Like, I haven't seen I haven't seen all of Saving Private Ryan, but I, I'm... Is it based on a real, a true story? I don't know. Uh, very loosely, yeah. Okay, and, like, the I think the biggest problem that you guys are having is that, Nick, you have this idea that the movie was created to entertain, which is which is fair, which is true, because movies are created for entertainment. And Christopher Nolan, Nolan and Christopher Nolan did a poor job of entertaining. Um, and then John, you're saying that well, for one, you were entertained where Nick was not, but you think that his method of entertaining was this sort of documentary type thing or whatever the way that he constructed it. And so you guys are just sort of saying that he created the movie for different reasons and I liked it for this reason and Nick didn't like it for this reason. Yeah. I mean, but then it, right. I think both of us would agree that the movie, do you think he's trying to attempt a very different style, Nick? Yeah. 
plays on. Yeah, I grant that it's like a documentary, but to me, like, what more of a slap in the face could you give an artistic director than to say, hey, I really enjoyed your movie. Were you trying to make it like a documentary? He'd be like, uh... Oh, okay, I think we should move on to talking about comparisons to his other works. Oh, gladly. Because, see, history's on my side here. The see, critiques this- that I'm levying against Nolan bear out in every other one of the films. And see, this is where I say, like, you can't even, like... It's a different movie. It's I agree. Nothing. I agree. It's yeah. the same human being who's creating it. It doesn't matter, though. He can do whatever he wants. Himself. Yeah. I could sure, start using my left hand for everything. Sure, but there's always going to be those nuances that remain similar. It's, it's his identity is embedded into each and, movie. And it was nonlinear. Like, there you go. And you had, like... Seriously, by the way, that was simple motivation. What? Why don't we keep... Actually, can we save the comparison for, like, maybe later on and keep talking more about the... So we want to talk about the movie structure right now. Okay, wait. Before you say anything, Nick, we have to first discuss all the rednecks that came out of Blairsville's $6 movie theater saying, (laughs) I understand the time where they were because they started over here and he was in the plane for, like, a whole week. I don't understand how that happened. The second time I saw it, uh, I got I was seeing it with my parents, and we got there a little late, like before they showed that like one week, one day, one hour thing. And so like I realized that like once they switched like looking over the planes, and I had to walk over to my dad and like whisper it in his ear, like and like explain that all to him really quick. We that would make the it. movie so confusing though if you missed. Oh that. yeah, if you missed that, absolutely, because <laughs> like it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> So how do you think this movie uh, followed Nolan's, like, traditional thematic elements? What do you think, uh, or where were the similarities, and uh, where did he stray from his normal uh, procedures or techniques? I guess, in my opinion, like, as also mentioned in the opening statement, I think this movie is in a lot of ways the conceptual essence of Christopher Nolan. It manifests all of his traits to their fullest extent, the good ones and the bad ones. You have the visual, you have the spectacle, like cranked up to a tent. No one can deny that. You have nice cinematography, a decent soundtrack, and you have no characters. Okay. And then you have a wildly, wildly, wildly complicated plot. And that's what I'm just saying is that in this structure of war and battle, like the last context that you need to introduce a windy, complicated plot mechanism is this one. But Nolan kind of in his arrogance is always thinking, how can I just rewind and rewire my audience's mind, which I typically love and appreciate, obviously, Interstellar, Inception, I love it. But taking the story and having the story, breaking it up and smashing it up and reconfiguring it just to for that dumb little payoff, there's not even a payoff with that kind of configuration. I agree that there was no payoff. Absolutely not. And by the way, like what documentary maker would ever try to do that? Like it just further confirms he's trying to be experimental. He's trying to like find some kind of new avenue to communicate the same entertaining substance. And it just falls on its face. With documentaries, though, I think I get what you're saying and I appreciate what you're saying. And I also didn't I didn't think there was any reason to make it nonlinear. With documentaries, though, what you have to do, and they do this in documentaries, is like they tell a story <laughs> up to this point, and then I'm gonna are you are you done? Your throat good? With documentaries, they tell a story up to a point, and then they have to jump back 
to another situation. <laughs> they have to jump back to another situation or another part of the battlefield and talk about it again up through that. And so I'm not, I'm not defending necessarily. I thought that it didn't have to be nonlinear. Um, but I'm just saying like in documentaries, they have to go back and they re-explain what happened over here at this time. It's like, it, it does seem choppy and repetitive the way you have to do it in documentaries so that you get the full picture. Can I talk a little bit about what Nick was saying about the payoff? Yeah, absolutely. Um, was that in, in, in most of the Christopher Nolan movies that I've seen, and, and this could, to, to me, can sometimes be counted as a gimmick, there are these points in the movie where you sort of realize, oh, like this has happened. And then it's sort of kind of a lot of things kind of come into place. Um, and I think my problem with this movie was that out of all, even more in any of his movies, he was building up to this sort of epiphany of like, yes. holy cow. But, yes. but like Nick, you said, it, it just, it felt so flat. Like there, there really was nothing. Whereas like in Inception yes. or in Interstellar or in The Dark Knight in The Prestige, those aren't as prominent buildups. But like with The Prestige, I mean, that one is that one's great. You know, that sort of that sort of big sort of plot twist kind of thing at the very end that you're like, now you understand the movie. Sort of like if you've seen The Sixth Sense, kind of that sort of crazy plot twist adds so much to the movie even though it doesn't need that to be an entertaining and riveting movie. But this movie, a lot of what was entertaining and riveting to me was the fact that I wanted to see how all three of those things came together and they never did. Right. I'm completely with you. And again, I think that part of the argument to supplement that, it again goes back to what you're saying about not defining the enemy because you have to just, or I, I would rather call it the threat just to give it more vague, more general, like any movie has a threat that has to be overcome. And in this, it essentially amounts, like when you retrospectively consider it, it's three planes. And like, that's honestly, I understand John that like, when you're a, just a body on the beach, yes, like a plane is a, represents a massive threat, but the way it was visually and spatially kind of communicated in this film and how the same mechanism was used like five times of the general just going, Nick, nobody can see you. They can't see you. It's a podcast. Sorry, back to the show. It's like you really are going to do that like four times. I, I think you could argue. I think you could argue that the threat was really time. That's a fair point, and I think and they have the TikTok noise like, and all of the. Uh, I think I think the planes were the physical representation of time of the Germans slowly preparing to basically attack and kill them. I don't, but I, I, yes, I understand what you're saying, Nick. And yeah, I was sure, like, then, you never saw more than like three planes at a time, but I think you and, could and argue the that, that the antagonists. Yeah. And even the threat that they posed, like there's that one, this was in the trailer, that one shot where they're all on that little dock and they all start to one by one look back. And then when you actually see it in the film and like, I think like four or five bombs drop, like two people die. Like they show one person fly off, and you're like, uh, "Okay, like, yeah, I get that. Why are we crying about that?" But I think that that that's that's sort of. I think that's at a first glance the enemy is like a few planes, but I think in reality it's that 
the the threat of the incoming army. It's not something that is in any way tangible. Agree. It's not tangible, which is what yeah, my problem to, was. <laughs> but you have to have a tangible threat in a film. You can't just have this spatially unrecognizably unrecognizable substance that's only alluded to. And it but never, Christopher never Nolan's even... mind is so powerful and vast that <laughs> he was the only one who truly understood. I understood, dude. I tapped into that consciousness. <laughs> and this is also this is also interesting, kind of related to the villain critique. A lot of people are praising it. Oh, it's a war movie. No blood. Like, it has no blood. Isn't that great? Number one, that's just to keep a PG-13 rating oh, yeah, to give totally. more money. No, totally. That's, that, that's number one for sure. Yeah. Number two, talk about, like, the best way to humanize a character on screen is to show them bleeding. Like, when you just have, like, these people exploding... I actually like, thought that that was... So, generally, you know, we've had this argument about violence in movies and stuff. Yeah. I thought it was a little bit out of place that they didn't really seem hurt. Yes, completely. Another parallel to most war documentaries. They didn't... Like, you'd see dead bodies, but you wouldn't see tons of carnage. Dude, that's I'm good. so done with this. I'm sorry, but that's like one other... Like, I've watched so many war documentary movies in preparation for this and trying to look at parallels, and there's tons. And then, just, and then just revealing the history. You want to talk... All right, well, like, if you want to talk about the planes for a second, like... Yeah, let's talk about the planes. For one thing, just, like, reading about the historical, like, there, the... And it's something they even talk about, like, in the end of the movie. Remember when the, the soldiers are getting mad at the pilot? They're like, where were you? Right. It's like that actually happened. Soldiers were actually angry about that. You go. What? Something like that. What did he? What did he say? No, I said, "What did you do about that? You go." That's what I heard. (laughs) Um, I'm gonna use that clip and replay it over and over again. (laughs) So when the guys are, when they're getting angry at the pilot, like, "Where were you?" Like that was a real sentiment that was felt. Like the army was angry at the air force. He's like, where were you? We didn't see you at all. But the majority of their fighting was done over the channel and like was done in the air, not around soldiers. And so it's like the British actually had a huge success in their in with their air force, like huh. and took down tons of planes. But it's and it's an element they show in the movie. There's not many planes over the beach and there's not many German planes over the beach because the British Air Force was doing its job and was keeping there from being planes there. And so, like, you should, like, that's really, like, cool, but it's, like, we even have no idea about that. Again, so what you're saying, John, is that only a veteran who was there, who's 90-year-old and British, would appreciate that. Not a film, not a film. Or someone who wants to learn about Dunkirk. Which, I think that's a fair point. But anything that comes out of the material, out of the content of the film, does not add value to the film on its own merit. See, I take it for what it is. To me, it's like, it's better that they don't just say that because then there's this huge payoff like, wow, he included this very real aspect that I know about now. Like, it's a huge payoff to me to like, this actually happened in war. And he didn't like, yeah, he didn't yell it out on screen like a narrator would, you know? Yeah, yeah. And then like, there are other elements like the, uh, like, remember when the the very first scene when the kid's running away and he jumps behind the, the like barricade or whatever with the French soldiers? first like the first sequence yeah like when he's running away in the street that's like my favorite part in the whole movie it's so good yeah very very cool um 
but like the glares and stuff that the French soldiers give them, like there was a ton of uh, hostility, not aggression, but yeah, hostility between the French and the British at that point because the French were going to stay and fight and they were going to get taken over and annihilated. Um, and so they were angry at the British who were like just running away from this battle. And so like, that's something they show, but barely, you know, and, but it's something that like, to me, like learning about that is a huge payoff. It's like, wow, that's super interesting. And see, I, I had done a little bit of research on Dunkirk before seeing the movie. And so when I saw those couple of things, it was like, cool, not even like Easter eggs. It's just, that's how it was. Yeah. And, and it's funny it's super that. Cool to see that. Cause it is very similar to just watching a superhero movie, you know, for someone like Hayden, who has a lot of, alternative knowledge about spider-man you know like coming straight from the comic books his viewing experience of a spider-man movie is probably going to be enriched whereas someone like me who watches a spider-man movie is just going to judge it based on the contents of what's actually there so that's a fair point yeah what has happened is a colossal military disaster We shall go on to the end. We shall never surrender. The call went out. We have to go to Dunkirk. Ready on the stern line. What are you doing? You know where we're going. Into war, George. I'll be useful, sir. One of ours. He's on me. I'm on him. They need to send more ships. Every hour the enemy pushes closer. They've activated the civilian boats. Civilians? We need destroyers. You're weekend sailors, not the bloody navy. You should be at home. There's no hiding from this, son. We have a job to do. Turn it around! We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall never surrender. We shall never surrender. We shall never surrender. If we can move on, do you want to talk about more elements that make this Nolan-y, or do you want to start kind of comparing it to other movies? I want to um, compare it to his movies, personally, just a little. Just a, I mean, I guess we kind of did that, but... I mean, we can go, like, full-fledged into it, and, like... I mean, com I kind of mean more comparing as in, like, ranking. Not, we don't have to number rank it, but just kind of, like, um, was this a terrible Nolan movie? Sure, that's easy. Hey, do you want to yeah. go first? Uh, okay, Yes, I'll go first. Um, so I did see Dunkirk a while ago, and I, I haven't said this, but I, I only saw it once. Um, but I did watch, in preparation for the eclipse, we wanted to watch a space movie. So we watched um, Interstellar. And I have to say that I'm going to touch on the soundtrack of this movie. Um, my little brother is, like, always listening to soundtracks from movies, like, constantly. Like, it's, like I have been living in Hogwarts for this entire summer. Dude, shout out to Reed, our fan. Yeah, exactly, our one fan. Um, and, up, and so he's always listening to soundtracks. And the one thing that 
I think makes a good soundtrack is you could peel it away from the movie and it's still something worth listening to. And the Dunkirk soundtrack does not stand up. Like, it is completely... It's ambient noise um, apart from the movie. Whereas the Interstellar soundtrack... It, it, like, it gives, it's like, you are space. Like, it's like, you are in space. But in, and I think that was one of the things that I realized later on after watching Interstellar was that something that made Interstellar really great was that the music really emphasized what was happening in the movie, but the music was great by itself. And that adds a lot to the movie. Whereas in Dunkirk, it was like the sound of the ocean. It was like... It was like chatter among soldiers in the background. It wasn't this sort of, um, it, it wasn't a character, you know, it wasn't a character of the movie, which I think is a part of how music should be. And I think that was, that's one of the biggest differences between Nolan's, this other movies and this movie, like, uh, Inception is another big one where, where the, the, the music really brings out what's happening on screen and listening to that music, um, apart from the movie, it, it, it tells its own story. And Dunkirk's it just and that was a that's always a big part to me. And I just didn't really feel like it did that. It Honestly, was, it I'm was so dependent on the story. I'm completely with you. When you separate the Dunkirk soundtrack, what does it do? It just gets your heart going. It's literally just percussive eighth notes. I'm not kidding. It's just rammed, rammed, rammed with just this constant sense of motion and momentum it's just supplementing but there's that's no suspense. build there is a build but there's no like there's no conclusion really there's no dynamic it's yeah. just this and that to me is one of nolan and like i i did hans did hans zimmer do the music for this he did okay and that's i think one of the biggest differences the largest differences between this movie and the rest of nolan's movies was that the soundtrack just really it emphasized the movie, but it didn't add anything to the movie. I think that's well said. I agree. I think part of what it might have been, and like just kind of reading about how Nolan tried to prepare Zimmer for creating the soundtracks to other movies, is he would kind of give him more direction on like sub or like feelings that you wanted the people to have. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas opposed to this, I haven't read much on like how they interacted about it, but I think like this, the only thing I have read is that he like the ticking noise is actually from Nolan's own pocket watch that they yeah. used and synthesized. Um, and I think like, that's like as much direction as he probably gave him. He's like, like ticking suspense is what this movie's about. And like, you know, they there wasn't any like emotion or anything else that he wanted him to communicate through the music. So I, I 100% agree with you. Nick, is there anything you want to compare um, to yeah. Dunkirk to his other movies and things? Definitely. I think that the best thing about Nolan is that I think he, and I think a large portion of the viewership views kind of his movies. I think a good word is puzzle. Like he's very much a puzzle maker. But what makes him so accessible and not, you know, so much more of some of these like indie art house type directors that are more vague and artsy with these kind of puzzle type movies. He gives you he gives the audience the key. He's like, here's the key. Like, unlock it. 
I'll let you unlock it and enjoy this nice puzzle that I've made for you. Whereas some directors don't give it to you and it's, it's a vague or an ambiguous ending. And you're like, some people leave frustrated. Some people are like, Ooh, I like the ambiguity. Nolan says, cause he's, he's making blockbusters. You know, he has to still appeal to people. Yeah. He makes a nice intricate puzzle. And then he says, okay, here's the key. Unlock it. Like he gives you the tools to do all the work to unlock it. Interstellar. Some people hated that. Some people were like, he's literally ruining the movie by spelling out exactly what's happening. But I really like that. I, I, I'm fine with him giving us that detail. To me, he takes that same mechanism and plops it here into Dunkirk, where he's trying to design somehow this puzzle, largely in part with the configuration of the plot and the nonlinear storytelling. He's trying to create this puzzle, this suspenseful puzzle and he's like kind of giving you a key and then you have the key at the end and you're like, what is this? What is this unlocking? Exactly? I get that. No. And again, it goes back. There's this sense of payoff. I don't know if payoff is, is it the best term, but there's definitely none of that. It just seems like there's this momentum building, like in a lot of other, his, his other movies, but there's no unlocking moment. There's no twist. There's no massive reveal of a threat. There's no encounter. There's no encounter of any kind. And so it's him picking up his normal playthings and trying to play with them in a sandbox that just it, you can't operate that way in this particular sandbox. And I think, like I said, in my very first thing that I said was that about the world that in the worlds that he creates, like I'm a huge fan of fantasy. Like I've read so many fantasy books and that's oh. one of the that's one of the reasons why I like fantasy is because I like the worlds that are created. And from what you're saying, it's like he took this sort of puzzle element that works really well in a fictional uh, universe where things aren't as defined, such as, you know, time, space, dreams, dreams, you know, memory, memory, magic, all these, all these things. And then he puts it into like a very real situation or very real story. And it doesn't, it doesn't come together because in the real world, it can't. I think that's well said. John? I mean, my, my only response to that is uh, it just makes me feel like you guys, or at least Nick, because I hate Nick's perspective on this whole movie. <laughs> I feel like you went into this movie wanting to see those things like I went into this movie wanting to see it a completely different way. I think that's a fair point. And I think, I mean, and then, and what I'm trying to argue is that I think that I see it in the way that Christopher Nolan intended to do it um and that being a very different form of his style i think that's uh, fair so i think you cannot go into it assuming any of those things like i think he did you like and i see where like you'd want to immediately assume those things because he does like that non-linear thing i think the non-linear thing is just him right i think it was a mistake i don't think he should have done it but i think like you just have to stop and not say, okay, well, he's trying to make more. There's, there is this puzzle. I think you're trying to read into it too much instead of taking a step back and saying, he, he, he did what Nolan does, but he's doing something new. That's just, that's how I see that. As far as expectations, just a quick aside, I, I really honestly do think I went in with pretty much no expectations because even going in, I was like, okay, this is a war movie. This is Nolan. I'm really not sure how it's going to come together. I'm going to go in pretty open-minded. Outside of just general, I went in looking for Nolan, like exactly what Nolan does and has done. I, did. I, 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 de I definitely I did that. I don't know, though. 
I really don't know. You think you could go into a Nolan movie not expect like I, I don't think that, I don't think that's possible for you because of the reasons that you like Nolan and like what about him you like. I, I think there's no way for you to go for you no. specifically because you like him so much and you like the way he does those things. No, but at the time that I viewed it, I knew the story. And so that was the thing talking with friends. I was like, this is so weird going into this Nolan movie because everybody knows how this movie is going to end. So Nolan technically cannot be himself. Mm-hmm. But and so tried. we were all just kind of like, what's going to happen? How is he going to do this? And so after the first time I watched it, and I kind of in my mind was like, oh, in my mind, I was like, he's trying to make a suspense movie. So the second time I watched it, I tried to judge him on the merits of my attributed goal of his, which is make a suspense movie. And to Mm -hmm. me, he even failed at that, like horribly. And so that's where, like, I would still go into that. I think you're watching. I think, like, even at that point on your second viewing, I think we're still watching it for different reasons, and we're still expecting different things, even at that point. I think you analyzed it differently than I did. Yeah, I I just think history is on my side. I mean, if you just look at his filmography, Dunkirk history is on my side. Don't do this. No, I I get what you're saying, but I don't respect it at all. And I think like it's completely stupid and it's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. So you think he's not, you think, I, I'm just trying to understand more fully what you're saying. That his motive, if he didn't even make a dollar, he'd be so fine. He really was just trying to realistically represent what war is by not showing any blood. Obviously he wasn't, he's, he wants to make money. That's, that's obvious. People don't just make okay. things. Okay, then that's 90% of what I'm saying. I think we should stop talking about this one to some extent because, so say we have two listeners. Um, <laughs> They're bored by now. They will have either picked a side. They will have picked John's side or they will have picked Nick's side. And, yeah, and they want to hear the resolution. And no, but see, you know, real, realistically, what we're talking about is you guys have two very different views of what the movie was intending to do and i don't think it doesn't matter how many words we use i just don't think we're gonna be able to reconcile how john feels to nick and how nick feels to john and i think that both of you have a very good i think you have very good points both of you and i think i tend to lean more towards nick's side just because i'm more of like a action movie like i like more exciting movies i'm not my best friend shut up nick he just said because he likes more movies like Marvel and stuff like that, where they're just like blockbusters that come out every year that are the same thing. Okay, that's now that's trash what I said. Your side, Nick. That's what he said. <laughs> Real quick, do you guys want to talk about predictions for Oscars for it? Ooh, yeah, let's do that. Well, let's say, first off, there's no black gay men in it. There are black <laughs> men in it, though. So that really lowers its chances. <laughs> Agreed. Yeah, it's probably not going to do that great, I guess. It's not La La Land or Moonlight, so this thing is not worth anything. And it's not overtly liberal or anything, which is what a lot of the Oscars is about. Right. If he had shown more women in combat, I would have been like, this might win. <laughs> or, or transgender people in combat, then I'd be like, this is going to win something. I'm going to go um, with five nominations. Okay. So it's not going to get any best actors. Do you think it could get, get a best supporting actor? Nomination? No, no chance. Okay. Because who knows who the main actor was and who the supporting There actor. really wasn't any characters in that movie. It was just the English army. Agreed. So what do you think it'll get? Like cinematography? Cinematography, I I don't... set design, both the sounds... And then I, I honestly think he could get best director for it. 
based on just theocritical acclaim. Yeah. I agree with that. Okay. Cool. What's the movie that came Maybe out? it'll win Best Documentary. Yeah. That's a... That... That is a category that was made, like, was brought about during the Oscars during World War II because of when they started shoot, filming those documentaries of the war. Nick, have you seen... They actually made that category because of... Since when are you, like, a documentary, like, guru? I, I love documentaries, which would, like, say so many things about my movie <laughs> taste. Like, I love documentaries. I guess I just never knew that. I watched lots Remember of we watched Empire of the Dreams or whatever that dumb name is? That was Empire I talk Sun. I talk about that so much. That Star it's Wars an, documentary. It's an awesome documentary. That is a really it's good. Probably one of the best documentaries I've ever seen. That is a really good documentary. We should review that. <laughs> yeah. So like let's review three hours of just pure information. <laughs> Impossible. Yeah, documentaries. Uh, Nick, have you seen Monument agreed. Men? Monuments Man? Yeah. No, the, the one with George Clooney? Yeah. Matt Damon. No. I think that it, it's a movie that's not about World War II necessarily, but it, it's about the art and stuff that was taken by the German. Do you know anything about it? Yeah. Uh, I um, and it's obviously a very different type of movie, but I think it's, I, 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 it, I really cared about the characters when I watched that movie. And I didn't care at all about the characters in Dunkirk in all reality, like the specific characters. And it's interesting that a movie that is somewhat like has comedic elements admits like the real talk about war. I cared more about the characters in that than I cared about the characters in a movie that is all about caring about the people and and what's happening to them. I don't know. That's just an inter- that's like a right. little. It's an interesting point. Do you guys want to move on to ratings? For in, uh, overall, you could rate it against Nolan's movies and then an overall rating. Okay. Still numerically though. I think Nick. Or alphabetically. I think Nick, you should go first, then John, and then I'll go last since I'm the most in between. As far as my ranking here in in Nolan's filmography, it, it is it will be last. Um, that used to be held by a movie called Insomnia. I'm not sure if you guys have seen it. It's got Robin Williams in it, which is so weird to think about. I have not, I didn't know that was one of his. The genius in a Robin uh, Christopher Nolan movie. Yeah. The um, but yeah, no, it's it's definitely going to be last for me at this point. Like when I think about those movies, like Christopher Nolan's movies, like which ones would I want to watch right now or soon? I just I would not care to watch Dunkirk for like another year or two. I don't think. As far as a numerical rating. Is it is this out of a hundred? I forget. Yeah. Sixty-seven. Okay, John. So literally one point higher than you gave Wonder Woman. That was me. <laughs> I was about to say if I gave Wonder Woman over thirty, <laughs> I was high. Dude, you changed your letterbox list. Dunkirk was higher. It was behind Memento. Yeah, I changed it up upon my second viewing. Oh man, yeah, that's interesting. Okay, John. You're um, if I had to give it a number rating, I would give it uh, an eighty-five to an eighty-seven. Oh, we can do ranges. I mean, that's a two-point range. I, I I give it an eighty-six. 
and in and in, and in Christopher Nolan's uh, movies. That's a. I feel like that's an interesting one for you. Um, in terms it's of Christopher Nolan's movies, uh, I put it out of his. We'll say, we'll say nine movies. I'm just looking at the list that you have on Letterbox, Nick. Out of his nine movies, I would put it in the fourth place. And which ones do you have above that? Whoa! I would put Interstellar above it, I would put The Prestige above it, and I would put The Dark Knight above it. Okay. Batman it. Begins, Inception. I would put Batman Begins. I mean, see, this is like, wow. it's kind of hard. I think that's part of it is just like movies and how much I like them. I like... Okay, uh, I'll put it in the fifth position. I, I'll put Batman Begins above it. I'd put Inception below it. Okay. Wow. For me, I think I'm with Nick on... Now, I have not seen as many of the... I've seen uh, all the Batmans. Um, the ones you might not have seen are Memento and Insomnia. Yeah, those are the two yeah. I haven't seen. And um, I, I would also put this at the last, at the bottom of the list for his movies and now in terms of a hundred rating that's really tricky because uh, i think i'm gonna like slap my number on spider-man being at a 79 is not quite a b um how do i compare this movie which is so different from a movie like spider-man and how would i rank that like on 100 and nick you are right i did rate wonder woman too high thank you um i think that if like, if I was to go back, I would say I would push Wonder Woman down to the 50s. Did Bruno get Wonder Woman again? Like an 85 or something. Oh, my God. <laughs> but anyway, anyway. I think it was a 70. Anyway, but um, personally, I don't think I would be watching movies that were any lower than a 50. You know? Like, I just don't think I would wa- I would know before I went On into purpose. it. Yes. Right. I would know before. Unless we said that we were specifically going to. this podcast, right? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So I think that. Overall, yes, I did like Spider-Man better, even though there's no comparison. So I think I would That's give fair. I would give Dunkirk a, a seventy, a C, like a like a I would give it a seventy. And my list is gonna definitely have to expand and change um, as we add more movies because it's like having no base. It's like having no set like list of movies on a scale from one. To from zero to a hundred, it's like things are definitely going to have to shift around. Yeah. Because so right now the standard is set at a seventy nine with Spider Man for me, like that's the highest I have ranked. What a sad reality. (laughs) For Nick, what do we think Bruno gave this? Based on the conversation I had with him, he seemed to he seemed to be a a fairly big fan. Shout out to some of our potential other listeners, Sam and Jonah, if they listen to this. I think that hey, they, Sam and Jonah, they both send us money on the punch Yeah, sure. Send it to no, I'm not gonna give my address. Um, Wait, can we have them on the podcast? Yeah, I think we can. We but have, anyway, I think that Sam and Jonah both really liked it, and I think that Sam would totally be the soundtrack guy. He'd be like the guy you go to when you have to talk about the soundtrack. And we could include like an audience rating. Like people we know. Like take a quick poll, right, and include it in edit. That's a really good idea. We could get our one fan Reed to give his. Uh, I mean, dude, you could run and grab Reed right what now. What do you think about that idea, one fan Reed? Go get Reed. <laughs> I, I don't know where he is. I don't okay. want to get him. Wow, lazy. 
I think I, I think a good send off question to kind of ponder here is one of these: What kind of movie would you like to see Christopher Nolan direct next? Tell us in the comments below. You can do that now on Anchor. Read. Read. In the comments down below, tell us what kind of movie would you like to see Christopher Nolan direct next? I'm going to go first this time because I haven't gone first yet. Um, okay. That's actually that's not, not true. That's not true. <laughs> um, I want him to go back to, like, Inception or Interstellar, you know, like, by far. Like, I want him to go back to the creating these crazy worlds with all this cool stuff in them. I don't like the whole realistic suspense thing, and I, I just, it's not fun for me. How about a would you rather? Would you rather him direct a straight up horror movie or a straight up rom com? Or a straight up documentary? <laughs> Already did it, check. <laughs> I would, I'm not a huge fan of horror movies, even though I know he probably could create an amazing one, and I'm not a huge fan of rom coms either. But I also know that he probably could create a really awesome one. So I think I'm going to lean towards rom-coms just because they're easier to watch. <laughs> what? Just can you imagine that? That would be so funny. It would be. Matthew McConaughey would fit perfect in it, though. That's right. It's like right up his alley. Maybe a big terrible in it, though. Which yeah, okay. would be this is, this, is, <laughs> this is something that you don't have to include, but um, and this also might be a Borderlands obsession slash Tide. Shout out if Tide's listening, which I yeah. highly doubt it. <laughs> Miss um, Tide. How, like, how often do you watch a movie and remember the names of the characters if you don't have any pre-existing knowledge about that movie? Like, I don't Very remember well. one character. Was there some guy named Charles, maybe? In Dunkirk, I think there's a, there's a good chance they're British. But um, yeah, like just thinking of James like Murph, Charles. just thinking of Murph in Interstellar. I'm pretty sure she's the only person's name I know in any movie ever. Because because they say it 400 bazillion times. But still, that that still adds something to it. I think. But, no, I completely agree. Nick, what kind of movie would you like to see him make next? Oh, um. I don't know. I just, I trust his ideas and I trust his source material. He always seems to just become obsessed again with like a singular concept. And then out of that comes a movie. And so he just needs to get that next concept. And mm -hmm. I, I completely trust what it is. I think it'd be awesome to see him do like a dramatic romance, like not a rom-com. No, I get that. Like a Pride and Prejudice type era. Ooh, no. Just because of how much I don't like Pride and Prejudice. Wait, but almost what? Like, you don't like Pride and Prejudice? Maybe the story as a whole, but okay, I've never, I've never seen the movie. It. I've never seen the movie. I've only read the book. Okay. I've read the book, and I, I, I like the book enough. I just, I've never liked the movie. I, I, really, I really enjoyed the book. Um, just because I think, like, just kind of thinking about La La Land and how much I liked that love story, it's like, if Nolan could do love story really well it's like it, i think that would be a phenomenal movie because i like watching i like watching rom-coms i don't normally Me like too. straightforward like really good ones right like you've got mail or like sleepless in seattle or a lot of older ones i don't know um, silver lining playbook what was that I've never seen it. silver lining's playbook it's not, it's not a rom-com oh no. yeah a rom-drama yeah. 
Rum drum. Okay, we're not okay. going to change the name so it suits our specific needs. Thank you all for listening. Or should I start it that way? Do you guys want to like say anything wrapping up? It might seem kind of weird to just nope. track the cut. Okay. Uh, thank you guys for listening to this episode of the Rockets Review. Uh, I think, at least speaking for myself, I think this was a great episode where we definitely got more into looking at a movie that we all thought about very seriously and uh, definitely had some very strong opinions on. Um, so join us next time when hopefully we replace Nick again with Bruno and we can get uh, a good sound movie opinion back on. So thanks for being here, guys. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Nick. Bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs>